So welcome everybody here at uh, Roof Terrace at Hanover European Championships Box Lacrosse 2022. Today I am here with Neil Paulus, coach of the Dutch national team Box Lacrosse and Heath Garlow, the coach of the Poland lacrosse team who is fighting off bees already. It's been a hell of a tournament, a lot of bees. Uh, we're going to go into that a little bit later. The subject of today's podcast is the creator's game in Europe. So we got Neil here from Odenaga Nation and uh, Heath from Seneca. And Artu Seslar is this lovely voice from the little country, the Netherlands. Um, so yeah, um, just a little, we don't have to go into the European Championship that much, but just give me a little bit of your insights uh, of the tournament. It's ended for the both of you. How did it go, Neil? Uh, I think as a, as a team, we came together pretty well. We learned a lot uh, about ourselves as athletes and uh, as a team and how to be successful as a group. Um, and there's a lot of heart that I found in these European championships that uh, every country brings. The, the, the players the players are real impressive at e in each country, um, how, how much they, they care about the game, how hard they play, and how fast they're all developing. Each country gets considerably better each year, uh, which is really impressive to watch. And because this is now my second European championships, and I can see the level of lacrosse ac across every country get considerably better from the last tournament, which is really cool. Heath, how did it go with you, with uh, Team Poland? Well, we had, um, <coughs> before we even started, we had quite a few uh, drop out. We had a few uh, injuries. We had someone getting uh, married, so there was um, definitely some jockeying around, trying to get it, you know, as many players as we possibly could. And well, here, however, the tournament's going amazing. Um, everything's well organized. They have tons and tons of volunteers and help, and everyone's very hospitable. And it's just been a lot of fun coming. And the two of you, two of you had a game together. So the Dutch and the Polish they battled it out. No, I'll get that. Yeah, we have two microphones, so you know I have to switch a little bit. So be patient with us. So a game against two two Haudenosaunee uh, coaches on the field. Yeah, it was great for me to go to the Netherlands to win. <laughs> um, uh, so, well, something that um, that we talk about a lot in our culture is it's really not always about something. You know, in this tournament, it's about who wins and loses. But when we play as a, in our communities, a lot of times or within our in the traditional sense, the game is really about just playing a good game, and and certainly. Uh, our countries had a good game, uh, for sure, and it was a good battle. Uh, it was it was fun to watch the guys play, and and uh, and yeah. So so, but yes, I am excited that I we, we did get a win over Poland, and and that was that was nice. You know, when you think about wins and losses, this has been a, a, a real uh, important point for the Polish players. That they have a lot of a lot of passion when they play, and and uh, I love that about them. You know, and as, as powerful as anything can be in the positive, you know, it can it can be in the negative. And it was 
trying to bring the, the Polish team back to the way Neil and I were raised. Um, you wake up in the morning, you call your friends. This has been the days before cell phones. You call all your friends, let's go down to the box, let's go down here and there, you know, and we'd, we'd just eat breakfast and mom, wave my stick in the air and run down to the box and we'd, we'd play. And teams mix and, you know, someone's gotta go. And, and in the end, after three, four, five hours of playing, who, who won? Who the heck knows? Who cares? We, we, we played. We enjoyed each other. We, we ran side by side as our strides matched. And that unity is amazing. Breath, taking breaths at the same time is unifying. And Waspatek. It's who wins? I don't know. I, don't, I never, there was never a time where we knew who won and who lost. But we were, we were stronger. And, and by running, we showed our, our uh, appreciation to whoever you believe is up there, the, the creator, for the gift of these bodies that we have. Um, that is how we show our thankfulness for it. And, and so trying to get the Polish players and every single player to understand wins and losses, how important they are or not. I got the B. Oh, lost my phone, but I got the B. Yeah, and uh, so, but um, so, how did you end up with uh, with the Polish team? Like, uh, you have no Polish roots. Uh, I heard from you. I uh, through Azalea. Uh, Azalea is my ex-wife, and she it grew up in Warsaw. And to be honest, it was a matter of math. Uh, I figured if if they're gonna fly me out there, I we could both visit her family for the cost of one one flight and stay with her family and that's how i chose poland helping to grow the game that's why i reached out so uh, when did you start there 2016. okay so there was a uh, the european championships was their first uh, effort uh, to uh, turku turku yeah and uh, we played each other there uh, the dutch and uh, the polish played two times right one overtime loss and one tougher loss, I think. Eh? And Neil, how did you end up with the with the Dutch with the Orange? Uh, by accident. <laughs> so in uh, in 2012, I was promoting uh, the movie Crooked Arrows, the lacrosse movie. Basically, the hockey, ice hockey version, the lacrosse version of uh, Mighty Ducks. And uh, while I was there, the the Dutch national team was hosting the field European Championships 2012. And there was some controversy over the coaching staff there. And so when there was some turnover, they were talking about who to bring in to replace the previous coach. And uh, my name popped up as someone to put on the list uh, because of all the conversations I had while I was here in 2012. <coughs> and so that turned into uh, me coaching the Dutch field team in 2014 in the Worlds. And then 2016 in the Europeans in Hungary. Um, and we did, we did fairly well. In those tournaments, we finished eight in, in Europe and uh, I think uh, 17 or 16, somewhere around there, uh, in the field team. And then uh, that, then that's when uh, I was approached by, by UR2 and, and uh, Jan and asked me to come over to the box team and develop that so program. So I, that's when, after the Hungary tournament, I transitioned to box and been there ever since and just enjoying my time. So coming over for that first time, Heath, uh, what did you find? Like, uh, 
Was there some structure, what they were doing? Like, what did you find? What kind of players, what kind of atmosphere? Well, uh, atmosphere, they love the game. They love the game. Very, again, very passionate. Um, one of the first things we did was play at the Herbeski. And that being a box tournament, um, after like the second game, the players pulled me aside and they, and they says, coach, I've been playing for 10 years. Why can't I pass and catch when I get on into the box? And just explaining them that everything is so different from field, you know, you, how often do you pass to someone and then run straight at them or, or V cut towards them or whatever. So it was, it was a, growth, a growth experience for both of us, the team and myself, to experience the difference between field and really playing box in the box and not playing field in the box. And you see that intelligence or that, uh, that, like that box instinct uh, grow quickly or does it go like a diesel? How well, like, like any, any human, it's, all, it's different for everybody. You know, some pick it up instantly in their mind and some instantly pick it up with their body and some take it a little longer but all are exceptional athletes so and neil you uh, went to the european championships 2017 as well for the first time what did you find when you arrived there at the training camp well it was the same thing that i found in 2012 um, and, and partly because we had the same player so i i played in the uh the the tournament um, to, no, in the, in 2012, I played in the in the festival team, and there was a player there who had made the world team, but then got hurt, and so he wasn't playing in the in the European Championships for the field team. And uh, he asked me a question about what to do, and I literally told him like, step here, step there, go here, shoot like this, and he stepped on the field, grabbed the ball, two steps, came around the top, ran down the alley stuck a goal came off the field walked over to me and said tell me what to do next <laughs> i told him a new move he tried that move he went down scored another goal came off he said tell me what to do next he said this is fun right and i was like wow you know like i'd never seen such a coachable athlete and that was rue and so when i got the call to say do you want to coach the dutch national team i instantly saw his face and the excitement and the smile on his face. And I said, yeah, I want to coach that. Um, and what I found when I came to the field team and then when I came to the box team is that same excitement, enthusiasm. Rue was on the field team when I was coaching there. He's on my box team now, you know, so he's still there and part of part of the experience. But um, um, yeah, I mean, such coachable athletes. You, you give them a concept, you give them some stuff, you know, some of it stuff that I developed in the backyard with my friends. Right, because one of the things that I did, I'm smaller, right? I'm not that big, um, but I have quickness. Uh, I got a good stick, right? So I had to use my skills to find a way to get around my bigger, stronger, older friends, right? And that, and that translates to how you use your skills for the benefit of the team, right? And really, that's what we talk about when we talk about this game. We talk about putting our minds together as one and how do we work together as a team and how do you take those pieces and how does that those pieces make a beautiful piece of art when they work together and that's what lacrosse can be when it's done that way right and so i get real excited when i'm able to put guys in the right spot or teach them some technique 
that helps to hone and highlight some of their best attributes in the best way that support that team experience. And it's like, I'm on the sideline like, oh, this is so cool, you know, when it, when it works, right? And then when it doesn't, it's not like, oh, you suck, but it's like, next time, try this. Next time, try that. And then I watch the athletes literally go out and do it. And that is also so cool and something that doesn't always happen uh, where I come from. Um, you know, when a kid uh, in North America, right, Canada or the U.S., is so heavily exposed to the sport and video or, you know, or, or watching highlights and all this other stuff that they become harder to coach because they think, oh, I know this, or I want to do this cool thing, or I want to do that cool thing, instead of just focusing on the really fundamental basics and being really successful at that, then that cool stuff comes just because it's natural. And that's the that's interesting thing. So yeah, of course, uh, thank you guys for teaching the kids, but uh, what have they actually taught you, like insights in the game that you maybe forgot about, or? Um, I, you know, I was talking about this with some of our players last night and just watching some of our defenders being able to use their size and to have an idea of a scheme like, oh, this would, this would work on paper, <laughs> right? And then you go out and you try it on the field and to have these amazing athletes literally go out and do it the way you wrote it on the piece of paper. And then it actually works. Like some of, some of what I've learned is just that some of these things just take effort uh, at a maximum level. And you could do all kinds of different schemes in a variety of different ways. I, I, you know, every day I'm thinking about other things that could come up or other things that I've learned from different coaches or different processes and, and things that I could introduce with more time with the team and and know that, well, I'm going to write this on a piece of paper. <laughs> These guys are going to see it. We're going to run it a couple times and physically do it. And then all of a sudden, bam, it'll click and it, they'll be literally doing it the way I envisioned it. And that is just something that I, I coaching in North America, I didn't really think was possible, <laughs> you know, because I had so much experience with these players who are just, uh, we'll call it privileged, um, and not willing to put in the hard work to get really better, right? Um, so the, while the stick skills and the finesse isn't quite at that level, the heart, the dedication, the commitment, the footwork, all those little things are there, you know? Um, what I think I've learned is how to coach people who have had little experience in the sport that I'm trying to teach. You know, again, back home, like, like Neil was saying, you, you're coaching often players who've been playing box, been playing in this area, that area field, they have a lot of experience. But some of my players have a year of box experience. And I think what they've taught me is how to take this passion with limited experience and bring them closer and closer through varied 
drills, how to m modify my drills to match their needs, how to see a person for how they really play, what their aptitudes are, not just physically, but mentally, and um, bring this group together to, to run this unified offense, this unified defense. I mean, I, I was very, very blessed to coach uh, under the tutelage of uh, Darius Kilgore. Very blessed. The, the man's a, a genius at, in box lacrosse. And uh, anytime I can, I try to give him the props because he allowed me to, to coach under him and learn from him. And he, he freely gave. He freely gave. And I'm all, I will always be thankful for that. And I bring that knowledge here and, and we're scaffolding. And it, so I guess in the end, my answer is they've helped me to modify what I know to match what my students no. And uh, culturally, so this is more lacrosse uh, related, but culturally, what did they teach you? What did you learn from them? Sorry, a bit better. You know, some of the some of the things that um, that the privileged forget about is the hard work. In the end, um, you you can have all, all the all the skill. Um, from because you have great parents who are who are great athletes like like Neil's a great athlete. Um, we kind of we kind of take advantage or take for granted the the amount of lacrosse knowledge we have around us growing up. You know peanuts, tykes. I mean, the, even even like background games. Back I mean backyard games. You know when when you're playing around the backyard with you know kids like. Zed Williams and, 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 you know, Chase Scanlon and, you know, these kind of level of athletes. And these, these athletes here don't have that, you know. And, and in Poland, uh, one of the things that the, the athletes let me know was the physical education is very limited, you know. And so to see them fall in love with the game and then go for a run, tour me around their city. I'm, I'm tired from walking five, six, eight miles. Okay, coach, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna go with Neil now. I, I have to go do wall ball. <laughs> Holy guacamole. Okay, then we got, I, gotta go, I gotta do my workout now. And I, you know, okay. And then I'm, I'll meet you at practice. That was their personal dedication to the game before practice. That taught me a lot too. So that, that oneness with your craft, that oneness with your, your desire to become better in lacrosse, I think many players have lost that, in my opinion, back home. For me, the Dutch taught me how to make clogs. <laughs> I want a pair. Yeah. <laughs> click, click, click. Um, no, jeez, um, <laughs> uh, what have I learned? It's so much, you know, I mean, the relationships that I've, I've built, you know, R2 is like my brother, you know, now. After, you know, 10 years of knowing him um, from 2012, right? And, and just the camaraderie, the family, you know, the team, even this tournament, how they come together, how they recognize that this is a one-time thing and that this team is this team right now. And the next team is probably going to be a different team, and I'm good with that. Like, there's there's an individualistic experience within the Dutch, where they recognize the value of 
of that experience and their personal experience in it, but then, okay, but then there's another one and I'll be there or maybe I won't, but we'll go. So we'll, we'll take advantage of this moment here. Um, that's been really cool, right, to see um, how they've been able to incorporate their personal values mm -hmm. into something that I love. Okay, yeah, so um, let's uh, dive back a little bit in the, uh, so outside of the, the European cham Championships, uh, the roots of the game. Uh, we uh, Just uh, so you know, uh, we met each other uh, the first day. Uh, I was tired, wanted to go to my hotel room, ended up in a three-hour conversation with the two of you and uh, another Dutchie. We were sitting in a circle. Neil was uh, making a fire as a firekeeper, right? <laughs> and he was uh, holding, uh, keeping the fire warm with his conversation. Um, yeah, we were talking about uh, yeah, the roots of the game. So um, where did it all st yeah, start? Uh, it, I mean, it started with <coughs> our ancestors, you know, and the creator as a gift. <coughs> I, I, maybe I got bit by a, spa a wasp. Um, look, send them my way. I'll, okay. I'll keep them off you. Um, but the the gift itself, the game itself, is a medicine, right? And and I think what's lost in calling it a medicine is what really exists within the sport um, or the game itself, which is that energy that every player brings to that experience. That's part of the medicine, right? The stick, the ball the person, but the energy that they give, the love and excitement and joy that they feel when they play. And the fans feel that excitement and that joy. And that brings communities together. And then they, they share f a meal together and food. And so here we are in Germany at a European championship with everyone bringing their fans and right next door they eat food together they watch the game together, they scream and yell together, they celebrate together, they ooh and ah, and these players just give everything that they have on the field. And so while all the players may not understand or know or be fully connected to the roots and origins of the game, or even understand um, what those, what those, uh, what the cultural significance of it is for us as indigenous people, they're still living into its, its, its intended purpose, which is, which is that, that we come and enjoy and celebrate the gifts of these individuals and how they're able to put it together uh, as one, right? That oneness of coming together. So for me, that's, that's what I love to see uh, that, that this is still, even in Europe, where there's only a few of, uh, indigenous people here, it's still happening. And I'm, I'm honored to be part of that. And so you had a stick, a stick game, it was called before, like uh, uh, every community had their own kind of stick or their own kind of game. Can you speak a little bit about this? Yeah, so, well, I, well even, even within, within our communities, we called it different things. So, in Onondaga, we say, De Hon Chico Ace, right? Um, the Mohawks say, De Wa Alado, right? Uh, so, in Onondaga, it means to bump hips. De uh, Wa Alado means the stick and ball game, 
right? So there's a little bit different meanings, right? Depending on the community you're in. So how's it called in the Seneca? Dewayo. Uh, the prefix day means like a doubling over. So I believe it to be the reference to the one of the original shapes of the stick, where it had the smaller head and the X in the middle to hold the ball. Dewayo. So. So we all have our name, right? Um, and then as you go throughout North America, um, you know, because we didn't have the, the, the borders that exist now, there's all kinds of different stick and ball variations of these stick and ball games. Uh, anywhere there's woods, right? The celebration of sport. And I had the privilege one time in Oklahoma where I was able to play one of these variations of the game, uh, the two-stick, chalk-toss, stick-and-ball game version. And as I played that version, I felt exactly the same way as when I played my own medicine game at home at Onondaga. And are these sticks uh, the same or? They're completely different. So so the, our, our version uses one stick, one ball, uh, the ball is much bigger for us. It's the size of a baseball, right, or a little bit smaller. Um, and this version that I played in Oklahoma was the Choctaw two-stick version, which meant the, the heads on it are, it's like uh, the ball's the size of a bigger, like a golf, like golf ball. And, and then you catch and control the ball with two sticks. Completely different game. Defense is played differently. Um, the, the strategy, how you score a goal is slightly different. But at the end of the day, the energy that went into that game as we ran up and down the field, my best friend uh, with two bad knees, right? Uh, he had, she's had two, three ACL tears. So two on one side, one on the other. And here we are, uh, old, older men playing in Oklahoma. And the defense is to throw your stick down and tackle the guy with the ball. <laughs> so I got the ball. And his eyes light up like a Christmas tree. And he's so excited, right? And he charges at me. So I, and I'm focused on trying to get a goal, right? Because I'm the offense guy. So I got to score a goal. So I take a shot at the pole. And I just miss. And just as I shoot, my body just comes in and cleans me out right through the ribs. Full on body tackle, right? And I, I'm, I'm twisting as I'm shooting. So we spin. Because my, my energy's spinning and his isn't. So we kind of spin. And we flip around in the air, and I landed on both his legs, on his bad knees, right? Literally, I landed on both knees, and I, I land on him, and I pop up, and the first thing I do is I put my hand down, and I look at him, I go, you okay, right? And he goes, never better. Hops up, I grab my sticks, he grabs his sticks, and we took off. And, and that's the kind of thing that happens at home where we're playing that medicine game, and you have a hit, or you have the bump, or someone gets knocked over, and you have that moment where you check on them, but at the same time, that person pops, you might not even get a chance to check on them because that person literally pops right back up and they're running. And, and they're not hurt because there's an energy that's different when we're doing that medicine version. Um, but then we still have the ability to bring in that teaching, to bring in that understanding of what the sport means. Um, and I had the privilege of being able to do that this tournament when we played um, uh, Belgium. And they also had another uh, native coach, but it was our last game of the tournament. So I wanted to do something special. So we, I don't, did you hear about this? So we brought both teams into the center. Um, and then I stood with uh, Jamie Kirby, the Mohawk coach, assistant coach, 
and uh, I did the, got to hand you the opening address, Thanksgiving address. And I, I thanked everybody for being there and thanked all of Earth and, and all of its things. And then I thanked them all for playing the game. Uh, and then we played the game. And then we brought it back in a circle at the end and kind of like kind of translated a little bit in English and just kind of let everybody know kind of what was going on and closed it up for everybody in a way that they could all understand. So they, and I didn't, I didn't translate the first thing. I just said it and then we played. And it was, it was just really cool to kind of have that moment. Um, and that was something that I'd never, <laughs> I've never thought of doing. Um, not, especially not in Europe, right? But, but I was inspired by some other conversations to think that would be a pretty cool thing to do. And Heath, uh, how did your stick and ball game uh, go? Was it one stick, two sticks, a goal, a uh, tree? Where did you have to put it on? You mean originally? Yeah. Oh, you know, there's, there's lots of lessons on, on quite a few games. Uh, uh, double ball is a game that we play where it's two balls tethered together and you you shumac branch with uh, a crook in it and you you catch the double ball with that and you throw the double balls with that and it's it's a single pole that you shoot at and um, so we're, we're really working hard uh, to hang on to those games Marcus Waterman is uh, well well, put on a demonstration and let the anyone, any age, uh, participate. He's he's a young man that um, was taught by Sully, um, and is doing a great job. The kids like him. Yeah, so you you play with a full community, right? So you have kids and elders play together. Uh, well, um, I'm not. I don't know about together. But during programs, yeah, like we have we have a summer program where we have uh, K to K to six, and um, again, Marcus does a great job with the three groups that we have there. So we have people who, uh, in in the various departments, language or whichever, that are definitely hanging on to those and teaching and spreading the good word. Um, so I'm not really sure exactly, but for for us in our dog, it depends on the game and it depends on. Uh, the purpose, right? So a medicine game might have all ages, but up to a certain, down to a certain point, right? Like you're not going to have a four or five-year-old running out there. They have to at least be able to handle the stick and play, right? Uh, but you might have a 70-year-old man on the field as well at the same time. Um, some of the other games that are kind of like like kind of like a baseball game, the way you get people out is you hit them with the ball. So, <laughs> so you generally like stay with your so own age group there. Um, we also have a cool game that we play in some of our other communities too, fireball. It's like soccer, but you throw the ball with your hand. So football, imagine that, but the ball's on fire and you throw it with your hand too, right? So imagine, imagine that, right? You're running around in a field uh, playing with a ball on fire. Um, so, uh, so that's obviously mostly men that play that one, but it depends on the game. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and, uh, but so then, uh, how did it, uh, this game, of course, we all know a little bit the story, but I would like to go into it a little bit more. How did that, uh, that one of those games or a combination of those game games became lacrosse that we know now? 
Well, as the as the story goes, right, the current version that we're playing now um, goes back to French fur traders who observed the Mohawks playing this variation, and they had the two sticks that represented a goal, and so um, they and they talked. Uh, the stick was commented looking something like the the, the priest cross, right, the crook. And so that's kind of where the, the name comes from, because they didn't have any other way to, to call it uh, in the language that they understood. So that's kind of where the first kind of interaction between this game and non-Indigenous people kind of started and grew. And then as it grew, it was, oh, these, these people play this sport, let's, let's display it. And so it just grew and grew and grew. And some of those crowds that were going in the... 1800 early 1800s were ginormous i mean they were huge tens of thousands of people um going to a lacrosse game uh in montreal you know so it's a kind of a really interesting kind of j history right that comes out of it and george beers and the rules and all these other things come come after that but but it really comes as a as a celebration of look at these this thing that these people are doing there's a nice plaque uh and display in the ILA arena, I believe, out in Six Nations that talks about some of the first box lacrosse leagues. You know, the arena arena owners wanted to, you know, make some money over the summer, sponsored leagues, paid for a lot of things. And, you know, Montreal was mentioned uh, just a minute ago. And um, that's where box started, as I understand it. In, in the in the Montreal area, the Ontario area. Would you say box is uh, closer to uh, to your original game than field lacrosse? Or? Not even close. Not even close. I, what I say about box and field is, um, you know, if you put box on one end of the spectrum and field on the other, and you had to place ice hockey, I'm I'm going to put ice hockey and box lacrosse much closer together than field lacrosse because the, the the mindset is so incredibly in opposition uh counterintuitive to each other entire and in its entirety um to pass to someone then run towards them well there's already two people there well why why would i go to, well because you got to get that person's hands free you know it's intense and it's 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 there's a lot of pushing they're shoving there's hitting and you're passing while all that's going on requires a high level of skill. So they're, they're not very close at all. And uh, I mean more to the, to the original game. I would say the original game has to be closer to um, field. And, you know, I've never read anything on this, but one of my players asked me this weekend, you know, why is the women's game so different? And I, for the Senecas, uh, traditionally, women didn't play because of the powers of their reproductive system and they're, they're very powerful. And so for the game to grow, I imagine that when, this is me shooting from the hip, okay? I think when this game went back to Europe, that's where women's games must have developed because here we didn't allow women to play. Yeah, so so this, this is where I, I've been doing a lot of research on this and working on a documentary on it actually with um, uh, Robert Carpenter um, who started Inside Lacrosse magazine. And so 
ironically, probably the original rules of the women's game probably most resemble the actual kind of structure of the original medicine game. The face-off went into the air. That's kind of how we start the game, is throwing the ball in the air. And then it was just kind of a free-for-all. And the, and the, and the, and the out-of-bounds and the boundaries were kind of the boundaries of whatever field they happened to be playing on. Um, and it stayed that way for a long time for the women's lacrosse. Um, and, and so that way, it kind of resembled it. And then I, I also know of a, um, an academic in the States who's working on, on, on this, this exact subject. And, and there was a group of elders, elder men in Six Nations. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting her research, by the way, so. And the book's yet to come, so. So this is unpublished stuff. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. So, um, but what was actually interesting about it is that there was these old men that would occasionally go to watch the women play in practice. And so someone finally kind of asked them, like, what are you doing here? What's going on? And they said, well, we're watching this game because it looks the most like the game that we understand that we're supposed to be playing. And, and they were like, what, really? You know, so they were excited by it, but then it also makes sense why some of our communities were kind of like struggling to see our women play it because it did look similar in money in a few ways to our actual medicine game. The big difference being the physicality. So for me, the, the dynamic of it is kind of, the field is, is kind of our game, but we play with a physicality, the box across physicality is how we play the medicine game, right? With that mentality, with that physicalness, with the intensity, with the hitting, that it's more intense than the field game. So, so even our, our Haudenosaunee national team, they play really intensely and they play super physical. They play just as physical as the Canadians, if not sometimes more, um, and they get penalized for it. So, because um, that's just how we see the game. Um, and how we believe the game is supposed to be played, right? With that, with that extra oomph. Um. I remember watching my sister play, and I remember their face-offs. Yeah, they would two girls. When I want to go out of out of bounds, wherever that was determined to be, they'd stand side by side, and the ref would, yeah, kind of throw it in their direction, and they'd fight for it. I remember balls going out behind players and the ref wouldn't blow that whistle until it was like in someone's duffel bag or went between two cars. I mean, there, when my sister played, there weren't boundaries, boundaries, you know? And so, and, and by the way, that was really impressive, Neil. That was awesome. I learned a lot in what you were just saying. So, so thank you for sharing that. So uh, the, let's go back on the topic. So it was introduced then in uh, North America area and uh, did uh, you guys rock the game straight away did you have your own teams beating uh, the newbies yeah yeah well we we rocked the game straight away the women's game actually where the women's game got developed was in scotland so it came from from here went over to scotland so that's kind of where the first women's lacrosse really kind of originates from um but in the you know in the montreal space where all of that started to evolve um Indigenous teams obviously were the best teams and had the best players. And so the, the, the kind of the black mark on the sport, at least in North America, is that when George Beers created rules for the sport, 
one of the rules was that each team had to agree that if one indigenous person was able to play on another team's club. So they were only allowed one native person on a club and they both had to agree that that one person could play. Because of their incredibly be high Because of their level. incredibly high skill level and having more than one would be unfair. Um, and then eventually they started paying these native players to travel all over the world. So that's why England and Australia, Scotland have had lacrosse for over 120 years. So when they returned, they were all deemed, but in all indigenous players were deemed ineligible due to professionalism. Um, and so indigenous players were blacklisted from playing this game that they created. And the, and the game itself was appropriated by Canadians and Americans. And the Americans just adopted the same rules that the Canadians made, which singled out every indigenous person and pu pushed them out of the game. So when box across was invented, right, um, all of a sudden you have this influx of indigenous box across teams just flying in because they're like, well, you don't have a rule there where we can't play, so we're going to go kick your butt there. And so we, our, our communities have been playing box across for almost 100 years now because as soon as it was there, we went. But I've always said this, even if we didn't have a field league, even if we didn't have European lacrosse, even if we didn't have box lacrosse, me and Heath would still know each other because we'd still be playing the game. We'd still know each other because somehow our communities would find a way to play with each other and play against each other. Um, and so we'd still know each other. But this is just kind of another added bonus of how we get to hang out, right? Because now we're hanging out in Germany on a rooftop in Hanover. So that's pretty cool. So is that one of the reasons? Because, uh, yeah, in earlier World Championships, the Haudenosaunee were not uh, represented? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's why they weren't there. So uh, they, they were banned and they, were, they didn't have an opportunity to return to international competition until 1990. It was the first year that they competed internationally. Um, and then 1994, so 1990 was the men's team. 92 was the first U19 team. I got to play on that. I was 17 years old, uh, starting attackman there. And then in 94, I made the men's team. Also, uh, you know, by then I'm an All-American in college and you know, I got these accolades in college. So I was a starting attackman on the men's team at 19. Um, and one of the three youngest players on the team, right? That was a, a 19, an 18, and a 17-year-old, the three of us. And we all grew up playing with and against each other our whole lives. And so we got to, to go into England and and play against some of the best players in the world. I played against Petromala and the Gates and Maracek and all these famous names and older names, right? Probably names that most people don't know, right? Because it's so, I, I'm dating myself now, right? With my age about who I played against, but I was just a kid playing against them. Um, <laughs> just, try to, just try to slide that in there. Um, I'm not that old, right? But, um, but, it's really interesting to, to think about that I got to kind of travel the world because of this game and the, and the culture. And on that first tournament, you were the first uh, world team, right? You made the... In 2002, I was the first Haudenosaunee person to make the all-world team, yeah. Yeah, so, so the, 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 all, the, the international competition has an all-tournament team called All-World, right? So I was all-American. And then in 2002, 
I was, yeah, I was the first Haudenosaunee player to be voted in All-World. Six goals against England, three goals against Canada, three against the U. I just had a great tournament, so. And how was that for the community? It's been awesome. There's only four of us, you know? So there's myself, Brett Bucktooth, uh, Lyle Thompson, and Jeremy Thompson, and all of us grew up in Onondaga, you know? Um, not saying anything about the other communities, because they're pretty damn good lacrosse players too, but just in the tournament that week, us four have been the ones that have been the ones that kind of shined in that moment and got awarded with that. So it's really cool to be part of a pretty elite group and all of us coming from the same community um, with such a strong tie to the medicine game and really holding on to that piece of it all the way through this. where we Whether we were playing field against the colleges or playing you know, box against our own communities, inner community, inner tribal, whatever you want to call it, right between each other. Um, we've always carried along that medicine piece of it um, every year, playing that medicine game at least once every year. And so to have all our all world players come from there is pretty special. Something in the water, they say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, want, I have just been watching my daughter play in, uh, as well. And I think that this game also brings a lot of medicine for the girls. You know, a lot of empowerment. Uh, we have a lot of people who've a lot accomplished a lot of things and they turn around and devote their time to the next generation. And for, for those people I'm super thankful for, um, like uh, Claudia Jimerson, Ryan Jimerson, being so diligent in working with the girls at the, at the Worlds and the Sixes tournament down in Alabama. Um, yeah, because it has been not uh, that long ago, right, that uh, the Haudenosaunee field a, a women's team. Yeah, yeah, it's recent. Um, I think... Was there a lot of debate about it? There, there's always there's always debate, right? I mean, you know, there's... The women shouldn't play, but... Uh, look, I, I have traditional thoughts about it, uh, you know, as far as the, the medicine game and the, and the, the, the things that... The, the game can do for us mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, and, but I also believe that those same benefits can and should be had with our with the female population. You know, my daughter is the captain of the team that went down to Alabama and the Worlds, and she loves it. Her, Lois loves the game. We've all had our, our bumps in the, in the road and my 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 boys and my daughter my daughters we can have always been able to turn to sports turn to lacrosse and say you know what man let's just let's just take a break and let's just go play some ball let's go play catch in the yard you know let's let's just clear our minds let's leave these things that are hurting us right here they're not going to go onto the yard where we're going to play catch they're going to stay here and let let him this guy up here take them we'll leave him here and sometime whenever he's ready he'll come take them and then he'll use those things, those hurts that are here to get to know us better and how to help us better in the future. And I, I say, I give this same message to my, my Polish players. I give this same message to the guys that play with me on, on the, my Rampage team. And to me, it's, it's about that togetherness again. Look at us in this circle, right? Very meaningful to me. There's no beginning and there's no end to a circle. And we, we worked hard to, to create circles here in Europe and in our own homes. And someday those circles are going to cross more and more 
and become more and more interlinked and become more powerful for everybody. So that's my thoughts on growing the game here in Europe because when we have that kind of medicine being made everywhere, lacrosse is, and, and if we play with that mindset, that healing is going to move, crawl, grow, run across this whole planet, in my opinion, if, if we remember why we play. The, yeah, yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up with a pretty, pretty hard line of women don't play, and yet when I had a daughter, she played. <laughs> um, and, and what's interesting, too, though, for me, you know, and I, I watched Lois play, you know, I watched some other replays, that was pretty cool. Um, but Thank to, you. It, but to, um, you know, having talked with enough uh, female uh, players, um, you know, the, the, there's a documentary um, about the women's lacrosse team in, in Akasasani, the high school team. Uh, and when you watch that documentary, uh, Keepers of the Game, you get to see that it's not just the, men, the boys lacrosse players and the men lacrosse players that play the sport and become inspired to, to understand their culture and feel that connection to their culture, right? It's not just that the boys get to do it, right? Because the, the, the women and the girls in that film, because they're high schoolers, right? So that's why I say girls. But they also feel that same connection to culture, to spirituality, to who they are as a people. And, and because of that connection to that sport that's indigenous, they have that same cultural pride that the men do. And they deserve to have that. They deserve to have that opportunity to say, yeah, I'm proud of who I am, and I get to wear my colors, and I get to represent my people in this sport. That's my culture, my heritage. And uh, so yesterday I took you along uh, to uh, do a clinic for the women's box. Yeah. Here in uh, Hanover there was uh, uh, 12 girls. They're gonna play a game later. Yeah. We'll be on the sideline battling each other. Five minutes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how was that to see that? And I know you have a story about that <laughs> as well. That was scary. <laughs> it was scary when a guy tried to run around with them. You know, I was like, what the heck is this guy doing? But to watch the girls, you know, be excited, pick it up, figure out the sport, you know, and then just when it was just the the ladies on the field. That was pretty fun to watch, and they were running around and jumping around, and they're pretty good athletes, you know. Oh it's, yes, I mean, they're they damn good athletes, and so it's really a cool to watch these these girls do their thing. By the way, yeah, one I, of I, you want to, I want to interrupt real quick. Um, you had asked me to help with that. I, the next practice that happened today was right after our game, so I got to help with oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard. So yeah, yeah. that was really that awesome was and fun to watch. We had one of your girls playing there too in the in the clinic. You were talking, we're talking about it. We, uh, I sat with two her girls. on breakfast. Oh, two girls, yeah. Okay, <laughs> tell a little bit because she was almost at the at your team, right? Here. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Roxana, absolutely. She is very smart player. A gifted athlete, and we have Kinga too. She was also um, uh, there at the at the uh, practice, and we had I think eleven 
Neil, did you say there was 13 or 12? We had, when we did it, we had 12. There plus a goalie? Yeah, two goalies. Two goalies ah, and, and nice. 12 runners. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one goalie and 11 today. Okay. And they, after practice, they hopped in the cars and they, they drove to this venue. And they're getting ready to play, yeah. Two, two games. Uh, no, they whittled it down to one game because there wasn't going to be quite enough that could stay. And many of the girls wanted to just, just watch their significant other play. So um, that was a lot of fun. Um, if at some point, Neil, I would love to have a conversation. It's not my podcast, but I would love to have a conversation about the new sixes rules, which are morphing into the uh, eventual Olympic rules. So if that's possible at some other time or later in this podcast would be great because we had a, a representative from World Lacrosse come to the... I'm to break, break you a little bit. I was running because there's only two more minutes left in the game, in the halftime, and the women will have, <laughs> have their game and we'll have to be on the sidelines. Yeah. So we take a little break and we come back after we've watched the ladies? Absolutely. You can I, well, I, thi well? I think I can. My ride to Frankfurt might be leaving, so... If not, then we, I, I would really like to thank you for everything and we finish the talk after the, this game. Yeah, out of shape, out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, long gotta, tournament. You, you got to trade more. <laughs> <laughs> do what I say, not uh, do as I say, not as I do, right? That's right, that's right. Um, thank you, Heath. Uh, and if I don't come back, thank you very much for the honor of, of asking me to be a part of this and to feel that I might have something positive to say or to contribute. So thank you for that compliment. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, we'll be back. Uh, Neil, who's, <laughs> who's going to win it? Are you going to put something on there? We are both uh, uh, at I, the sidelines. I, I better beat you. That's all i got to say. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? You've never beat me in women's lacrosse. <laughs> women's lacrosse. We'll see you, now. We'll see you soon enough. Okay. Bye-bye.